Hey everyone, Logan Shin here, and you're listening to Senior Soliloquies. We are approaching the end of the semester, which means that we are in the final stretch of guests. I have quite a few interviews recorded already. I just need to edit them before sending them out. So be on the lookout for more episodes with your Tufts peers in the coming weeks. This week's guest is Emily Nadler. Emily is a biker, musician, cognitive brain scientist, dancer, runner, among many, many other things. In our conversation, Emily and I discuss her experience at Tufts socially and academically, paying particular attention to her time during the pandemic. We talk about her bike trip across the country in high school and how it informed her experience leading a similar trip up and down the East Coast this past summer. We discuss the tension between doing many things versus focusing all your attention on one thing. We discuss her views on happiness and her goals for the future in order to live a happy life. I think what's wonderful about senior soliloquies is that you can finish listening to an episode feeling like you really know the person. And I think given the breadth and depth of our conversation, you'll come away knowing Emily as someone who is kind, thoughtful, smart, willing to take risks, among many, many other things. Anyways, um, I hope you enjoy our conversation. And yeah, I uh, bring to you Emily Nadler. Okay, Emily, thank you so much for coming on to Senior Soliloquies. Thanks for having me. So as with any guest, um, why don't you give me a 30-second pitch? of who you are, where you're from, what's your major, main interests, stuff like that. Yeah. My name's Emily Nadler. I'm from Westchester, New York, studying cognitive brain science. Um, Yeah, outside of that, I love to be outside, hiking, backpacking, running, biking. Um, I love working with kids, and I love music, playing music, listening to music, etc. And what what instrument do you play? I play the violin. Perfect. That's the that's the best <laughs> instrument, in, in my opinion. Um, so, obviously, this is a podcast about um, reflection, especially as it when it comes to like your time at Tufts. So, let's go back all the way to freshman year. How would you characterize your freshman year overall? Yeah, I think freshman year, I at least before freshman year, was just so excited. I was so excited for college. I was so excited for a new place, new people. I was really wanting to escape the bubble of Westchester and the sort of one-minded ideas um, that existed there. Um, And then coming to Tufts, started off doing two, which is the Wilderness Orientation Program. And right off the bat, it was eight people who came from different places than I did and were different from me and who I really liked and enjoyed spending time with and two leaders who I looked up to a ton and who I learned a lot from. Um, So coming into even just orientation week, I already felt at home, honestly, here. Um, and it kind of just, that kind of just continued that feeling. And the people that I had met on two introduced me to their friends and I met people through classes and through, from my hall. And it just turned into this large network of people that I felt like I could 
talk to about different things, do different things with. And then from there, I started just doing things. Joined the orchestra. I did a chamber group. I was doing trips with TMC. Um, I auditioned for an acapella group. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I really just did sort of say yes to things and to clubs and um, met more people and how I would characterize it was just so much fun. I was taking classes because they were interesting. Again, just meeting people, um, having fun. Um, The one big thing that also happened freshman year was um, a situation with my roommates in which I was in a forced triple freshman year in Hodge, two people um, randomly assigned to me, and they were not good roommates at all. They were not communicative. They were messy, dirty, um, and um, it was just a situation that I knew was not good for me. I started avoiding my room. I would sleep in friends' rooms, mm-hmm. um, but... At the time, it was really hard for me to realize that and realize that I needed to get out. I kept saying, it's fine. I can do it. I can handle this. Um, And, yeah, I took one of my friends from high school visiting me and seeing that situation and saying, you can't do this. You need to get out of this situation. Um, And that was when I spoke to my RA and I ended up moving out. And it wasn't a huge deal, but I think for me, it was a really big deal because it sort of marked the beginning of me learning how to advocate for myself and recognize situations um, that I sort of needed to get out of or just, yeah, I think learning how to advocate for myself was a big thing. Um, And then from there, the experience of being in a room with roommates who were better, uh, greatly improved my freshman year. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I got back second semester, felt super, I was starting to feel super settled in my communities, at Tufts, my friendships, and then COVID hit and it all came crashing down. Well, I find it really admirable and interesting that you came to freshman year with like an approach of, oh, I'll try as much as I can. I'll take as many risks as possible. Was that like a conscious decision that you made upon coming to Tufts, you know, and previous guests have uh, expressed like regret for not doing that their freshman year. And that's like the number one piece of advice that they would give to freshmen right now. Did you think about that coming to Tufts? Yeah, totally. And I think that I received that advice from others. I have an older sister who's three years older than I am. And she, her main piece of advice to me was say yes to everything, do Mm -hmm. everything, get lunch with random people, it will lead to interesting conversation, if nothing else, nothing more. And so I think I tried to take that advice. Um, and also, I was just excited about the things I was doing. I don't even think at the time I thought to myself, I should really be doing all these clubs. It just, they sounded cool to me, mm-hmm. and I wanted to do them. And looking back, it was the right decision to do a lot at the time. Was that like a change of behavior upon coming to college or were you always like that in high school? Yeah. In high school, I was way more focused in my extracurricular life. 
due to the guidance of my parents Mm -hmm. who had this mentality that it was important to focus on few things in high school, partly for college, honestly, so that colleges would recognize growth and success and achievement in one thing. Mm -hmm. And for me in high school, that was violin um, and... So with that and with just the demands of high school, coming to college, I think I just had more time and also knew that I would be able to meet new people. Whereas in high school, I could join clubs, but it was with these same people that I'd been going to school with for 10 years. Um, And I wanted to meet people who exposed me to new ideas, who came from different backgrounds. And at college, I really found that. So obviously, as you mentioned, once COVID hit, everything sort of came crashing down. Everyone looks back on their experience during the pandemic in different ways, and people reacted in different ways and uh, learned different things. Um, What was the pandemic like for you? Yeah, I think that my experience during the pandemic was filled with a lot of bitterness. Mm -hmm. I felt so frustrated when COVID hit because as I mentioned I was loving freshman year and I was loving Tufts and I had finally felt settled um, like I mentioned in my friendships my relationships in my communities and clubs Um, and I just started dating someone at the time and then to if go home and be with my family and be doing Zoom classes felt like exactly the opposite of what I wanted to be doing. Looking back, I think I wish that I had not felt so bitter and angry and frustrated by it because it really was a unique opportunity to move back home, spend more time with family, spend time with my sister, Mm -hmm. my parents, spend time outside. Um, And I wish that I had looked at it with more of a positive mindset because, yeah, I mean, obviously it's never good to really hold that bitterness and anger when something's out of your control. But of course it was this crazy thing that was happening. Um, Yeah, so during COVID it was me feeling really bad for myself when I think that obviously others had it way worse. But um, all I wanted was to come back to school. I actually looked back at old diary entries recently Mm -hmm. from COVID. And all I talked about was how I would read the news every day, searching for someone to say that colleges would be going back in person. I just wanted to be at school. I wanted to be at Tufts. Um, And so I was really, really excited when Tufts did go back in person sophomore year, even though it was not the Tufts that um, it was before COVID, obviously. Focusing on that period of, I guess, second semester freshman year and the summer, do you think you like grew in any way or learned anything new about yourself? Yeah, I think I wish I had grown more. Yeah. Because I could have read a lot or somehow gone through a period of personal exploration. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and I didn't. I was at home. I was on FaceTime a lot, and I was watching TV and movies, and I was doing Zoom class. Um, but, yeah, I don't feel like it was a period of huge growth or exploration, which going looking back, I think it could have been. And I know from a lot of friends that it was for them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we go back to school um, sophomore year, conditions are very different as you said it's not the tufts that we've come to love what was that experience like yeah i think i was really lucky sophomore year (laughs) because i was living in a suite of nine of my closest friends and um yeah that was just my bubble during covid and we would hang out and we really tried to make the best of the year. And we would, quote unquote, throw these parties, AKA just the 10 of us Mm -hmm. in a dorm room on the weekends. Um, And we would have these elaborate themes and quote unquote bar crawls in which we'd (laughs) go from room to room and change outfits. And we'd have game nights and et cetera, et cetera. Um, And it was, that was really fun to be in the suite, to get closer to some of the people that I'd met freshman year. I was dating someone, like I mentioned, so I was really set and solid in that. And yeah, I think I was still a little bit bitter because I obviously knew how I, if it hadn't, if it wasn't COVID, could have been meeting all these people and doing all these things but still felt super fortunate in my situation I also was taking really hard classes that I think was my year of the hardest classes I've taken at Tufts I was in computer science classes discrete math and some philosophy classes and I felt like my friends my sweet mates were just doing Zoom class and chilling, having an easy time. So that was a hard aspect because I was working really hard um, in my classes. But looking back, that was the right time to be doing that. Yeah. And I was still able to be in orchestra. We had this really weird, as you remember, spaced out orchestra experience. But I remember feeling really grateful that we were still able to gather and play music despite Mm -hmm. these unprecedented circumstances. You mentioned uh, that you had your 10 people, 9, 10 people in your suite, and you became super close throughout that time. A lot of, if not all, of those girls remain to be very close friends of yours. How did that come about? How How did you all end up in the same suite? Yeah. So on my two trip freshman before freshman year, I met Maddie, who is one of those girls, and Rachel, who is another. And um, it was honestly just sort of our group, like me, Maddie, Maddie's random roommate, Aaliyah. I had met Elisa on my hall, combining with Rachel's group. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, five other girls that she had met in her dorm. And freshman year, we would sort of hang out. We would combine all of us. 
Um, but then when it came time to pick housing for sophomore year, the numbers just worked out really well because I had my group of three close, three of my closest friends, and Rachel had her group of um, five of her closest friends. And so together, the 10 of us just combined and we're like, let's live together. Yeah. And so, yeah, going in, I didn't know some of them nearly as well, but that was really fun to get to know them and I'll hang out in the suite. Yeah, ser- serendipity is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, and later on, I want to get more of your perspective on uh, your social life at Tufts and yeah. especially with regards to your close friends. But let's move quickly to junior year because junior year was amazing. I mean, from my perspective, it was like this uh, watershed moment where, at least from my perspective, I could finally experience Tufts as it was supposed to be. You had a very interesting junior year because you also went abroad, which is crazy. Um, (laughs) Crazy, impressive, (laughs) cool. uh, Very envious of that. Um. Maybe let's focus first on the first semester junior year when you were at Tufts. Uh, was it like freshman year again? Yeah, I mean, it started that summer. Right. Summer after sophomore year was, I would compare to freshman year mm-hmm. because we all moved into our off-campus houses, which was exciting and fun. And then parties started happening again and I started meeting people again and I was working virtually um, on an internship that summer but then at 4 30 or 5 every day I'd log off and just hang out with people and we did the most random things we would go bowling or go to the fells go to the mystic try new food places, go on hikes. I went backpacking a few times that summer. And there was this excitement on campus that was almost even more tangible, I think, than it had been freshman year because there was this renewed sense of joy in connection and an ability to stand in someone's house that's not mine without a mask and eat dinner with them Mm. and hang out, go to parties, and again, to combine friendships. And that was really, really exciting. And that kind of bled into junior fall, I think. Um, But at the time, I was having a really hard time deciding about whether I should study abroad or not. And it was a really big internal conflict for me because I knew that some of my friends were studying abroad, but I wasn't sure if they all would and I didn't want to miss out. I think I felt like I had lost a year and almost a half of Tufts life due to COVID. Mm -hmm. And it was so much fun that summer and that junior fall. And I thought, why would I leave this for something that I don't know if I'll enjoy? And I ultimately decided to study abroad. Where did you go? And I went to Madrid. Um, And I'm so happy I did, looking back. I think that it was 
one of the hardest transitions of my life because as I mentioned, freshman year, freshman fall was overall fun, pretty easy. I had it good. I got lucky. And then moving to Spain was really hard and I was newly single and I didn't know anybody in my program and I was living in a dorm again after having had my own space in my house and I felt so alone and so far from my family, from my friends, from people who knew me and who I felt comfortable with. And that was really hard to sort of go through that. But ultimately, I met people in my program and made friends. Um, but it was still, yeah, it was still this this weird thing of, okay, well, we're here for the next four months. Um, what, what do we do about that? Um, and for me, it turned into a really amazing experience of experiencing new things, um, traveling to so many new places. I ended up having a really, really good time and a really fulfilling time in Spain, in Madrid. Um, and yeah, looking back, it was this culture shock of a new language in a new country and living in a city for the first time in my life also. Really? Yeah, I'm, I had not thought about that. Really. Yeah, from the suburbs and then came to Tufts, which is in Somerville, mm-hmm. which is obviously yeah. a suburb of Boston. And that was awesome. Like, there's always something to do in a city, especially one like Madrid. And I loved the pace of life there, which is very different from in the States, a lot slower and simpler the Spaniards love to eat and they love to drink and they love to chat. Mm-hmm. And those are such wonderful things in life that seem so simple, but then when you appreciate them and focus on them, they feel a lot larger. And yeah, I think I tried new things every day there is that's, yeah, that's what I remember. Yeah. Um, and then we'd travel on the weekends, and that was amazing. I feel really fortunate to have been able to do that. Was there, like, a particular moment um, when you were abroad beyond which you, like, felt like you were having a really good time before which you were, you know, filled with regret and FOMO and doubt? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And it was when I m- met or became friends with who – looking back, was my closest friend abroad, Nadine. Mm-hmm. Shout out Nadine. Shout out Nadine. Um, because, yeah, you kind of only need that one person yeah. who you feel comfortable with, who you can do anything with, who you can do nothing with, and who knows you. And she was one of those people where very quickly I realized I wanted to be good friends with her. And so I think once that was established there's this there's that moment in friendships Mm -hmm. where you realize okay I like you and you like me and we like hanging out and we're gonna be good friends and once I felt that that provided me with this huge sense of stability of okay I have her Mm -hmm. and I'm not alone and then she had a close friend from school there too so we sort of became a group and I started meeting more people and so 
that really speaks to how much I value friendships and community. And once I felt a part of this group of people and we would do activities together, we'd, we started planning trips together, I felt so much more stable in my life there, even though I was still missing my friends from home. I was still missing my family. I was still having a tr- having a hard time adjusting to a new country and dorm life, et cetera, et cetera. I knew that I had people to share with. Mm-hmm. I know this is not exactly chronological, but I'm curious. Um, what ultimately were the reasons that led you to go to Madrid, despite all the overwhelming evidence that you shouldn't go to Madrid considering you had a great semester in the fall and you were experiencing Tufts life again. Yeah. Honestly, I am someone who's very influenced by those around me. And a lot of my friends started committing to study abroad. Mm -hmm. And I sort of thought, all right, well, if my closest friends are going to be gone, I might as well go too. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of specifically the location, I've taken Spanish since seventh grade and I, I like it. And so I thought, okay, I want to go somewhere where I can improve my Spanish. And then I wanted to go to Europe because I knew I wanted to travel easily. Um, so then within Spain, I thought about Barcelona. I thought about Salamanca for a minute. But just by talking to other people and doing research, Madrid seemed like the best option for a study abroad. And yeah, yeah, I picked it. Was the Emily that came out of the experience in Madrid um, different than the Emily before? And if so, in, in what ways? Yeah, definitely. I think I grew so much during that semester because that feeling of loneliness pushes you to put yourself out there mm-hmm. in a way that, like I mentioned, I didn't have to do freshman fall. kind of just fell in my lap. So although it was really hard um, to experience that abroad, it really made me grow. And additionally, I spent a lot of time alone that semester in a way that at Tufts I don't as much. And I learned that I really enjoy spending time alone and I would sort of take myself on these dates and go to a museum or a new explore a new area in the city go thrifting by myself and yeah I think also especially like being newly single learning how to find comfort and peace and just being alone was a really big deal for me Because at the end of the day, you really only have yourself. And that felt like a big deal to find peace and comfort in being alone. Um, And then outside of that, just, yeah, traveling a lot was really a world-shifting experience for me. It was really cool. And to travel alone, too, Mm because I traveled a fair amount with my family. But learning how to navigate new cities, transportation, um, yeah, um, was an experience in which I grew a lot, I think. That's interesting how you mentioned, like, finding the value of being alone. 
Um, but you, at the same time, you also mentioned how much you value having community. Yeah. So how do you strike that balance? Yeah, it's hard. It's so hard. I think feeling solid in a community allows me to feel comfortable alone. Like I mentioned Mm -hmm. at the beginning, I was alone, but I didn't have that sense of community. And so I wasn't comfortable being alone. And then once I felt the stability of a community around me, I knew that they would be there later that night if I wanted to hang out during the day. Um, I was able to to be alone. Yeah. Something that I find so admirable, I've used that word a lot, but something it's, I can't really find a better word right <laughs> now, but something that I find so admirable, cool, just like awesome is your propensity to take risks. And you just get back from abroad and you take from what I can tell probably the biggest risk that you've ever taken that summer Um, can you explain to us what that is and how it impacted you yeah well that summer I worked as a bike leader for a company called Overland which holds outdoor trips for kids aged 10 through 18 And the story goes back to the summer after my junior year of high school when I did a trip with Overland called the American Challenge in which I rode my bicycle from South Carolina to California. And yeah, I can talk about that first. Sure. So American Challenge is composed of six weeks 3,300 miles um, of biking. And my stepdad, when he was 17, did that trip, did a cross-country bike trip. Obviously not through Overland, um, but he always talks about it as one of the most transformative experiences of his life. And he wanted, he thought that I would have a similar experience. And so I signed up to do it. Um, and at the time it felt crazy. All yeah. my friends were going to summer camp or working as a barista or whatever. And I was going to ride my bike across the country and I was really scared. And I remember distinctly, there was a very strict training regimen. So I started biking 10 miles, whatever, upping the mileage till I got to 80 miles. And I would do these rides with my dad and my stepdad. And I'm very lucky that they also enjoy biking and they would plan these routes for us and we'd go out and we'd spend a Sunday biking 60 to 80 miles. But it is so boring to bike 80 miles. And I realized that I didn't love biking that much. And I thought to myself, why am I doing this? Why am I going to spend my whole summer doing this thing that's kind of hard and tiring and not that fun? And I told my mom that I was feeling this way. And she said, well, you don't have to do it. You could quit. And I was so angry that she had said that. And suggested that I just quit this thing that I've been training for weeks on end. Yeah. 
But fast forward to June and I was in Charleston, South Carolina with my bike and two saddlebags of clothes and items. And I had no phone, wouldn't be able to have contact with anyone for the whole summer. Um, And I met 11 other kids who I'd be doing this with and two leaders. And they seemed great. Everything was going well. Um, But yeah, I was so, so nervous for this trip. And also something else that I'll mention is right before leaving, I was looking up Overland, American Challenge, whatever. And the story came up of how a student had died on a trip, this exact trip, the American Challenge, in 2013. Mm -hmm. And I think that just made me realize how much of a risk I was taking. This is a really big trip to take on. And that made me take it a lot more seriously. But yeah, so started South Carolina, day one, 40 miles, day two, 80 miles. And then from there, we biked six days on and then had one day off for the next six weeks. That's insane. (laughs) And yeah, I did all the training. I was ready and it was still so hard. It's so hard to get back on the bike the day after biking 60 miles and your legs are sore and you just want to sit down and do nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, But because you're on the bike for so long, all that we could do was chat with each other. And so very quickly the group became really close and I could tell that it was people that I really liked. And once that happened, I started to enjoy it more. Biked through, the route was South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arizona, California. Um, Yeah. Some memorable parts, I guess. Um, In Alabama. So Alabama and Mississippi are ranked, I think it's 35 and 50 out of 50 in rankings of education of states in the the U.S. The quality of education. Yeah, quality of education of the states in the U.S. And we were biking through some very small rural towns. And on one night in Tallahassee, Alabama, we spent the night in high school. And there was – we literally were sleeping, like, amidst – desks and chairs with tennis balls on the bottom of them and there was a journal open on the side and I read it and the student was talking about how she was pregnant and she recognized that she wasn't going to be able to graduate from high school because she she was going to have a baby yeah and that is one example of so many moments on this trip in which I saw parts of America that I didn't really know existed, and that really changed my whole perspective and worldview, realizing how much of America is that way and not what we see in New York and Westchester 
or even here at Tufts, right? At Tufts. Yeah. Absolutely. So there was that aspect of seeing parts of America that I otherwise would never have seen. There was the component of seeing so much grace from people around us. So we mostly stayed in churches. Overland has been running this trip for years and years, and they've built up relationships with owners of churches, which there are a lot of in Mm -hmm. the South. And these people would welcome us into their church and cook us dinner and hang out with us and go grocery shopping for us. People would stop us on the street, ask us what we were doing, offer to buy us food, water, whatever it may be. A lot of people would stop and pray for us because it is the South after all. Mm -hmm. And all this is just to say when people heard what we were doing, they were so excited. And that was another really, really cool aspect of the trip was the kindness of strangers. Um, And yeah, the in Union, um, Mississippi, uh, which has very small population. They, the arrival of the cross country trips is like the biggest event of the year. And they ushered us in with fire trucks and police and like escorted us in. And people were outside on their lawns cheering us on. And that was a really cool, memorable moment. Let's, let me think. Also in Alabama, we went to Selma which is where Martin Luther King marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge to fight for voting rights for African Americans. We walked across that bridge. Um, and yeah, that was those beginning states. Once we got to Arkansas, we hit our first mountain range, which was the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. And then it was Oklahoma. And in Oklahoma, there is a stretch of land called the Oklahoma Panhandle, which is that thin part yeah. at the end. And that was the hardest section of the trip for many reasons. Firstly, it was really flat and really, really, really windy and hot. And biking in windy conditions is arguably harder than biking mountains. And you have to what they call draft. And so bike really close together. And the person in the front is the one bracing the headwinds. Right. And ideally, everyone behind them will ride without feeling the winds. Mm-hmm. The night before Guymon, Oklahoma, one of, our, one of the other kids on our trip like dropped out. He went home. And so one of our trip leaders had to drive him to the airport. And so they needed a student to ride in the front, which is the hardest job. And there's two leaders. The other leader has to be in the back just in case something happens, they can see it. And they picked me (laughs) to be the leader. Wow. And yeah, that was the hardest day for me. It was so windy and it was so tiring. And I felt this sense of responsibility that was scary and hard, but 
the other yeah my group um really cheered me on and I couldn't have done it without that it's also worth remembering you were so young too yeah I mean you're in high school yeah 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 so that was a really memorable day and then we hit New Mexico which was um cooler and had these really beautiful rock formations we got to go to Taos um and then in Arizona we got to bike the Grand Canyon Mm -hmm. which was a really awesome day biking up to the rim the Grand Canyon seeing all these tourists and saying that we biked there when they drove (laughs) and yeah then it was uh so yeah then it was California and we hit the San Gabriels but at that point we our legs were so strong and we were just in such a rhythm we were so locked in and that was sort of New Mexico through California basically after Oklahoma was when the trip was just amazing and I was close with other people on the trip and yeah like I said we were stronger and we were just having way more fun locked in together and then yeah night before we camped in the angeles national forest and we could it's about 60 miles from la and we could see the city lights Mm -hmm. from our campsite and so that was an amazing moment of sort of seeing the end destination and then we biked into la and biked to down into the Santa Monica Pier, this rocky boardwalk, and we had done it. And that was the moment of greatest accomplishment of my life, honestly. And, yeah, my parents were there, which was fun to see them and so exciting. We dipped our tires in the ocean. We had dipped our tires six months prior. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, so that, looking back overall, that experience really brought me out of this bubble of Westchester that I was stuck in. And I met people on my trip from different backgrounds and from different areas and pushed myself to do this really hard thing and really looked up to my two leaders who I'm still close with today and was so transformative and amazing, hard, challenging, but rewarding. And all I wanted after doing that trip was to be able to provide that experience for someone else, so be the leader, Mm -hmm. Um, especially because my two leaders, Tim and Al, were really important people in my life and I wanted to be them for someone else. So that brings me back to summer after junior year when I had uh, uh, signed up to be a leader for Overland. Um, Not for the cross country trip, but for a Vermont biking trip. And I would be leading three different two week long trips for kids aged 11 through 13 about and I was 
yeah, as you mentioned before, coming back from this whirlwind of an abroad experience and about to go into this all in, but in a different way, experience. And yeah, that ended up being really difficult and challenging and rewarding in different ways than being the student on a cross-country trip. The kids were so hard to deal with. They did not want to be there. They did not want to be biking. Hmm. Um, And they required so much emotional support from me and my co-leader. But specifically, I think me as the female in the relationship, they would wake me up at night and they would cry. They were homesick. They didn't want to bike. They didn't want to be there. They wanted to be home. And I had to pick them up and encourage them and motivate them. And also, a lot of them had really challenging mental health issues. One of my kids um, revealed to me that he was suicidal Mm -hmm. on the trip. And I had no idea how to navigate that situation. That was really, really hard to support him and also bike, support the rest of the group. Um, Yeah, and then halfway through that summer, we got the news that someone else had died on another American Challenge trip. And we were instructed, we were given the freedom to either, to decide whether or not we would tell our kids that this had happened. And at first, we didn't tell them. They're middle schoolers after all and but it was really really weighing on us and we did end up telling them and that was really hard to tell 10 12 year olds about something like that and how do you put it yeah well we were given instructions on how to do it how Mm -hmm. to break the news to them um so it was like say as much detail as we we gave as much detail as we knew Mm -hmm. honestly and openly and we emphasized that we were there for them and to support them in whatever way they needed they were given the option to call their parents and we also were given the option to they could go home obviously they could not finish the trip they could skip a day whatever it was but They were so scared. They were so just shocked and scared and didn't really know how to handle it. Because at that age, you just, you don't really understand something like that. Yeah. And we were also told to maintain composure around them and not show emotions too much, which was really difficult, obviously. And I was terrified to bike. And ultimately, that was really hard for me because I wanted them to be safe, happy, and comfortable, and I contributed to that goal at the expense of my own emotional safety and stability. And I lost sleep because I would stay awake, worried that they would come talk to me or planning with my co-leader how we could help them, how we could make the route safer. I would wake up early so that I could have moments of peace before waking them up. And 
just I was just wasn't taking care of myself and that was a difficult aspect of the trip but also I ultimately did grow into myself as a leader and proved to myself that I could do it and I we finished the summer we did all the biking and I did learn how I learned how to be a leader that summer honestly I had done outdoor leadership before I had been a leader in clubs and other situations but that summer I really going back to sort of that theme from freshman year of learning how to advocate for myself right right. I put that to practice throughout the summer and as much as I could um, leaned on my co for support and I would call the higher-ups at Overland for example and advocate for support that I needed from them mm-hmm. and that was that was growth for me looking back I think wow I mean <laughs> like that's I'm like I'm really proud proud of you like that that's amazing yeah um do you are you able to look back on that experience with like a bit of uh like with like more reflection since, since time has passed I mean it's honestly it's less than a year ago still right how how has that experience changed in your memory? Yeah. I am able to – I have reflected a lot on it. And I feel like just now I kind of spoke of it as majority or mostly negatively. But looking back, again, it was difficult and challenging, but it was so rewarding getting our final destination on the trip was Canada. And that day when we would reach Canada, the kids were so excited and they would slip these comments of, we couldn't have gotten here without you. Or you guys are the best leaders. Every day on an overland trip after dinner, you do this thing called high-low cheers. When you say you're high, like your favorite moment of the day, you're low, your hardest moment of the day, and you cheer someone. And I would do all these things for these kids. I would help them with their bike in the morning. I would motivate them. I would sing to them. I would tell them stories. I would shout at them as we went up the hills trying to get them up. And I would think to myself, they have no idea what I'm doing. And after all that, they would say, ugh, I want to go home. I miss my mom. I hate this. But then again and again, they would cheers me after dinner during this moment. And that was super rewarding to know that I was hopefully making some sort of difference and that they appreciated my actions. And that was what kept me going, Mm -hmm. even through sort of those more challenging moments also it was an awesome experience to just be outside all summer kind of off the grid doing this thing that no one else really understood but um yeah and I my co-leader Zach was amazing he was yeah great co-leader I learned how to be more communicative in my relationships and 
so yeah, looking back, I'm really glad I did it. I think also at the time, all of my friends were coming back from abroad and they were going to be here at Tufts right, that yeah. summer, kind of just chilling. And I was really paralyzed by this fear of missing out on that summer. And I was thinking to myself after abroad and before Overland, why did I sign up to do this? I just want to sit at Tufts and go to the Mystic and hang out with my friends and sit on my porch. Um, But I'm really proud of myself for ultimately doing the trip. And it was a lesson in decision-making and regret for me because I was so scared of regretting it. Even after I said yes, I just... Yeah, I was out of fear of missing out. And looking back, you have to, I'm so glad that I did the thing because it was something that I had wanted to do since the high school cross-country trip. And I knew that. And I knew that it would be probably my only opportunity to do it given graduation and working life. life. Exactly. And now... Um, unfortunately, Overland isn't running any more biking trips because they have deemed them unsafe, understandably so. So I'm especially grateful to have gotten the opportunity to lead a biking trip because, yeah, that's it. Do you think um, people should pursue those types of experiences as like a general rule of thumb in life? Yeah, Absolutely. Bike touring in and of itself is one of the greatest joys of human existence. It's better, it's faster than walking, obviously, but it's so much more immersive than driving. Yeah. And the feeling of being nomadic and self-reliant, self-sufficient is awesome. Mm -hmm. And knowing that I was carrying everything I needed to survive on my bike and that together with my group we'd cook and we could fix the bike and we knew the route and we could could do anything just us is a really cool feeling and then I think also that feeling of only having one goal right so in high school you have to do well in school and do extracurriculars and apply for college and take SAT tests, whatever. On the bike trip, I just had to pedal all day and make it to the end of the day and then ultimately make it to California. And that, that sort of reduction of all of the complications of life into one singular goal is really cool. And then when you fulfill that goal, it's an amazing feeling. And then... So there's that aspect of bike touring specifically. Mm -hmm. And then to speak to doing, embarking on a large adventure like that where you don't know if it'll be fun, you don't know the people you're doing it with maybe, you know it'll be hard. I would also definitely recommend that more people do that. It breaks you out of the routine. We get into such a routine in life. Like you just wake up and you do the things again and again. And a trip like that makes you first of all gives you a lot of time to think especially on biking you're just sitting on the bike and you're thinking a lot so it's a very reflective experience 
and it opens up your world. It opens up your perspective in a huge way. That's so hard to do when you're just siloed in your day-to-day routine of life. And that experience has really shaped me for sure. I want to uh, move on to senior year and bring it back to Tufts. Um, Senior year is interesting. It's like this weird inflection point, right? Um, We have to make a series of really really big decisions moving forward. Um, But I guess maybe even before we think about the future, something that has always struck me about you is that you, and you mentioned this uh, earlier on, but you are engaged in so many different things, right? And I honestly think the attitude is probably, it's consistent with, it makes sense in my head that you would do something like lead a trip on overland or go abroad. Um, in the same way, it makes sense in my head that you do burlesque and you have a radio show and you're in the orchestra and you used to be really involved in TMC and you do a million other really cool <laughs> things. Um, and like, you know, you're, you love CBS and you're, pursuing a career in it. Um, We've talked about in the past the trade-offs between focusing all your energy on one thing versus doing many things. What what is it that leads you to do many things? I don't know. I have a really eclectic set of interests and I think I always have. But in college, it's felt more accessible to do many things. Like I mentioned in high school, I really tried to focus on one thing. But at Tufts, yeah, I've done so many different clubs and it honestly has been a really big insecurity of mine because I sometimes wonder, okay, I'm doing all these things, but what's my thing? What's the one thing that I'm good at? What am I good at? Um, And so, yeah, that my sort of lifestyle, I think, is really different from someone who focuses in really intensely on one activity or sport or passion. And, yeah, in the past, I've felt, I don't know if regret, but, yeah, just insecurity of should I be really good at one thing? Should I spend hours and hours a day working towards one thing and then get really good at it but only really have time for that um but yeah at the end of the day that's just not who I am that's not what naturally I have been drawn to I think we've had this conversation before of feeling of wanting to be the best at what you do and I don't really feel the pressure of that I think I'm really comfortable being mediocre at something Hmm. and doing it just because I enjoy it and still finding so much fulfillment in certain aspects of it. Honestly, an example of that at this point is the violin for me because I don't put in the hours that I used to and my playing has really gone downhill and I'll openly admit that. But I still find so much fulfillment in orchestra and in being able to play music and being a part of a community and meeting people through it, obviously going on tour. That's just an example of 
a way in which I can find fulfillment in something that I'm not the best at. And yeah, I think I've just found that in, in other areas of my life as well. And then, yeah, for senior year, like honestly, after Overland, I was really confident in that I was really good at that. Like yeah. I did that job really well. Like I was really proud of myself. And I came back feeling a lot more confident in my abilities as a leader and a person. I did this thing that was so hard, but I did it. And so that gave me this confidence that I, yeah, is helpful. Mm-hmm. And is, it, is that like, I presume that you aspire to, you know, sort of maintain that approach to the different things that you do after school, right? The approach of... Of just trying different things. Just trying different things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think also for me, a lot of the activities I've done, I've been seeking community. And mm-hmm. at Tufts, I've found that everything you do, there's a community backing it up. Yeah. So TMC is a community of people who love to be outdoors. The orchestra is a community of people who love making music doing you know the daily was a community of people and finding those communities on campus um has i think enriched my experience and feeling a part of something is so wonderful Mm -hmm. and so even if that's doing tdc which is one of the silliest groups on campus it's literally a dance group for people who can't dance the feeling of coming together and just putting on a show and doing something and having, again, it's that same thing of sharing a goal and and sharing in that experience and then achieving that goal is so fulfilling. And so even if I'm not the best dancer or the best violinist in the orchestra, I have still found so much fulfillment in doing those activities and in being parts of a part of a community um, within the larger community of Tufts. Just to clarify, Emily says that TDC is a group for people who can't dance. Oh. Well, I was just going to say that Emily definitely can dance, so she's oh. definitely an exception to that rule. Oh, I thought that you were <laughs> going to be offended as a fellow oh, no. member oh, of TDC. No, no, I'm not, <laughs> no, I'll openly admit the fact that my dancing is very mid, but I just want to say in defense of you, So, yeah, so you touched on, um, like, finding community through, like, different activities. Uh, I mean, what strikes me about you, especially with the context of Tufts, is that your friendships mean a lot to you. Yeah. Right, as you said before, being community really, really means a lot to you. You have such a close-knit friend group. Um, and these are the girls that you've been with since sophomore, freshman, sophomore year, right? Mm-hmm. How has your interaction, your relationship with the social life evolved in Tufts, like throughout your four years? I think coming into college, I actively knew I wanted to change the way that I engaged with social life. Mm-hmm. In high school, my high school was very, very clicky, and you'd have your four friends and you'd 
eat lunch with them and do everything with them. And I had heard about this free-form social life of college in which you can grab lunch with someone after class or meet someone in the dining hall. Um, And I was really excited about that and wanting to take advantage of it. And more than anything, I wanted, like I've mentioned, to meet people who had came from different backgrounds, had different ways of looking at life. I wanted to expand my worldview because Westchester is a very like-minded place um, outside of one or two close friends. I didn't feel connected to a lot of my peers. Mm -hmm. And so I really kept that in mind freshman year, and I really did find that where I could grab lunch with someone after class or meet someone at a TMC event and then actually hang out with them, meet their friends. And yeah, I've always been someone who sort of had my close friends. That's really important to me, as you picked up on. And I honestly just really was lucky in that I found that on my two trip, which is before freshman year even starts. And I met people who introduced me to new music, new activities. I think with Maddie, our freshman year mantra was that we were both always down. We were both always down to go out or to meet, go to a new event, go somewhere new. And that I've learned is something that I really value in the people that I surround myself with. People who push me to try new things, who will do those new things with me. And yeah, and then just being able to meet friends of friends and form sort of groups off of that was how my freshman year social life shaped out. I think COVID did really hinder social life, obviously. Mm -hmm. And as grateful as I was to be in that suite, it was a little bit of a exclusive inherently because we only could see each other group um yeah i don't know and then junior year was trying to escape that Mm -hmm. feeling of and we it was sort of this thing where we had to remind ourselves wait we can't hang out with other people and we should and we want to um But like I mentioned before, the summer really helped that. And then abroad, met people from other schools. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but. No, I think, well, what interests me is that you're one of the few people I know who's had a friend group that's like really, really stayed intact since Thunderclassman years. Um, Yeah, at the same time, you talk about making an effort of like expanding and meeting different people i'm just i'm just curious about about like i guess what that's like because i know a lot of people whose friend groups have just dissipated and they've sort of reconfigured their social life as time goes on but you seem to have adopted a balance of both yeah i don't know again a lot of it's probably just luck Mm -hmm. like these are people who i enjoy spending time with and who are my friends and we're lucky that we have been able to maintain that friendship and those friendships with each other and 
that's been a really amazing experience to look back now and realize that we've been friends for three years and to reflect on our individual growth and growth as friends. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I want to briefly touch on academics. Um, You're a cognitive brain science major. When I first met you, you uh, computer like you're you're a CS person, or in my eyes, you're a CS person. That might have been a wrong characterization. Mm-hmm. But how did you come to major in CBS? And maybe if it would be great if actually you could explain like what what it is, what is the domain? Yeah, for sure. So the way I explain it is that cognitive brain science is an interdisciplinary major which combines the fields of psychology, computer science, and philosophy. And so that was how I found it, is freshman fall, I didn't know what I wanted to study, thought maybe psychology, and I knew I wanted to take computer science because my parents told me that I should. Mm -hmm. And I also had placed out of the freshman year English requirements, but knew I wanted to keep writing. So I took a philosophy class, and I loved all of those classes, and then learned about CBS, and that it was sort of a combination of all those three. And I've always been interested in the brain. And so I thought, okay, major in it. And the way I would describe it is a very expansive study of how we interact with and understand the world around us is kind of the central question of cognitive science. And there's similar majors at other schools called cognitive science. Um, but I do think the Tufts one is unique and it does draw upon many other fields like linguistics and math, but it kind of goes from the micro level of understanding the anatomy of the brain, looking at the networks that allow us to have complex human processes like emotion, memory, attention, learning, um, and then can kind of just abstract it from there. So then one layer out is psychology, so understanding how humans interact with each other. Um, another step out is philosophy, One uh, thinking about what is consciousness, why are we conscious, what's the connection between the mind and the body, and and then another kind of question that CBS aims to answer is how can we look at the processes and functions of the brain and compare them to that of a computer. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where computer science comes in. Um, I took a class in which we modeled um, processes of the brain using computer science. Um, So like we used computer science to model the bystander effect, which felt like a peak CBS class, kind of finally connecting the disciplines. And then, yeah, another peak CBS moment for me was a class I took, The Ethics of Virtual Reality, in which we looked at the relationship between consciousness and virtualization and... I learned about the simulation theory, which you've heard me go off about. I have. (laughs) (laughs) Basically just the theory that we, our whole world is a simulation. 
by our by people who have come after us and then simulated the past. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And in my final project, I operationalized the human experience into three components, consciousness, a shared experience, and the illusion of free will. And ultimately argued that if simulation theory is true, our lives would go on and it wouldn't matter. And yeah, all this is to say there's so much you can do with CBS and that's why I've really loved it. I've loved the classes I've taken. I've had a hard time finding my specialty within it. Mm -hmm. Because it's so expansive, you kind of have to find your niche. And that was sort of a hard part for me because I didn't know what I wanted to do post-grad with a CBS degree. Do you find... I mean, this is also in reference in particular to um, your paper on simulation theory. Do you find studying CBS like gives you like philosophical comfort or does it make you more destabilized sometimes when it comes to like thinking about your own existence or, you know, humanity's existence or anything like that? I think the latter. Yeah. Taking that class made me realize why philosophers go crazy. Yeah. Because you can drive yourself into a wall. And it was, it was so weird because it was a class in which I was the most engaged. It's the most interesting class I've ever taken. But it made me a little bit unsure of reality in a very strong way where mm-hmm. I was like, I can't do this forever. I can't go into the field of philosophy, even though I found it so awesome mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it. I was questioning my reality. But other aspects of studying CBS, aside from, you know, this class, do, do, do they give you comfort in the sense that, like, oh, you can reduce a, a particular emotion down to a certain, like, scientific parameters or, like, I don't know. Do you think about it in that way at all? I've never thought of it in terms of comfort. I've always really wanted to understand how the brain works. And CBS has helped me answer that question. It's... This phrase that I learned recently, the more you learn, the more you know, the less you know, something like that. Yeah. And I really felt that with CBS, where the more I learned about the brain, the less I feel like I understand how the brain works. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, it's I've loved answering some of these questions that I've had. And um, yeah, I don't know if it gives me comfort. Mm-hmm. It's almost the opposite it's really weird to reduce something so big as emotion to a network of brain waves and neurons yeah that's that's crazy to think about i think that i think personally think that would actually destabilize me to learn that because human emotions feel really complex yeah but they, that's the thing is the brain processes are also so complex. Right. And that's really cool to learn about. Yeah. Let's focus on senior year. Right. As I said before, like senior year is uh, it's such a, like a weird time because we're thinking about our future a lot and it's like very anxiety inducing. How have you dealt with that personally so far or up until now? 
Yeah. Well, the transition back to college after Overland was really hard Mm -hmm. for me because I got back. All my friends had been here all summer and adjusted back to Tufts life. And I came back. I moved back to Tufts after Overland and that day immediately jumped into being a leader for two. Right. My gosh. (laughs) Rotation program. I was exhausted. And I just wanted to sit and do nothing. It took me a while to adjust back is what I'm trying to say. Um, and yeah, a really big part of my life was no longer in my life. It was, there was a lot of newness that I didn't expect. I think I wanted to come back to Tufts and just feel so settled and so stable back in my relationships that I knew back in my house that I had lived in the past year. And I didn't, I felt rattled what was new yeah I mean being single was a really different thing for me um my friends that had stayed at school while we went abroad had made new friends and sort of a little bit shifted their social dynamics and so coming back into that I wasn't sure sure what my place was anymore Mm -hmm. and we had all grown so much abroad too so like returning to Tufts and being back together was really different from before. It felt tangibly different. And then, yeah. And then back to your question before about the comp side, I had really shifted away from that in my academic career. I tried comp side. I did Jumbo Code, which is a computer science club here. I had a software engineering internship and I decided I didn't want to do it anymore as my main career focus. And so then that also left me in this existential, what am I doing? Where do I want to take my academic degree, my Tufts degree? What do I want to do with my life? And yeah, that was hard. How did I deal with it? I don't know, talk to my friends, realize that other people are having those same doubts and worries, and research and try and find something that interested me because I wanted to be excited about something. I think I felt ready to, despite my parents and people around me saying, you don't have to know what you're doing post-grad. It's okay to not know. I really wanted to know. I wanted to feel excited about a career path and not just feel lost in my interdisciplinary liberal arts, Tufts academic life. Um, And then this woman came to talk in one of my classes and she was talking about how she teaches kids how to code and all the research that she's done um, to support coding in the classroom. And I was super excited and interested in that, especially coming out of an experience in which I worked with kids. it felt like a combination of my interests and my passions in a, in a way that was exciting and I wanted to pursue it. And ultimately, that's what I'm doing next year. It's working under that exact woman in her lab. Um, so yeah. How do you uh, like manage the, or how do you think about the like the conflicting feelings of, on the one hand, wanting to cherish Tufts and the experience, and on the other hand, being excited for the future. 
yeah, it's been hard. It's felt very bittersweet for me because as I've talked about a lot now, I've loved Tufts and I've loved the community here. And I've been really scared for that experience to end and to be in the adult world and lose this proximity to the people I care about. And it's this feeling that we're all just going to disperse and go off and do our own thing, which I think will happen. But I've come to terms with the exciting component of that sentiment because we're sort of all doing the thing. We're doing what we've said we've wanted to do for some of us. Mm -hmm. Some of us, like me, found out recently what our passions are. But, yeah, how have I balanced that? I have really tried to enjoy senior year, reflect on college. I've tried to journal a lot about what it is about Tufts that I've enjoyed and appreciated so much and think about how I can seek out community and new experiences things like that post-grad um think about my own growth throughout college and how and set goals for the future and I think that reflection is what will ultimately make this transition valuable for me even if it's sad and hard it's so natural that's just life yeah all good things must come to an end yeah and the ability to recognize what made it good is really really valuable so i've been trying to do that we may be repeating a lot of the themes that you've touched upon already um, but i like to ask every guest this you've talked about how you've grown like within the context of like specific experiences right like being the the trip leader for example let's think about holistically the past four years what are the big ways you think you've grown i think that growth that I mentioned from freshman fall of learning how to advocate for myself has continued and I've learned how to kind of do my own thing even if even if I'm missing out and Overland's an example of that um but yeah I think I have grown in my ability to maintain friendships and relationships and recognize who's important to me and who I want to keep in my life. And then since high school, I think I have learned how to succeed in a way that in an an academic setting Mm -hmm. um, without putting too much pressure on myself, um, which is important. And yeah, I've really pushed myself. Like abroad and Overland are examples of that, but I think in smaller ways too. I've talked about before to you this phrase of doing the thing. And if something sounds like it will be at all a good idea, just do it yeah. and and see how it turns out. And I've I've done that more in smaller ways too, I think. Yeah, I think um I interviewed Aiden yesterday, and he said something very similar. He said, if the only thing that's stopping you from doing something is effort, then you should do it. 
because mm-hmm. you don't you never know what comes out of it and usually yeah. like the most beautiful things come out of like very serendipitous moments right yeah totally are you someone to uh, like look back and have regrets i try not to i don't think it's productive to do that but at the same time as i kind of alluded to I'm paralyzed by this fear of later regretting a decision. Mm-hmm. And in, in deciding whether or not to do Overland, I was really scared that I'd regret doing it. Mm-hmm. But... Which is to ask if do you have any regrets? Yeah. Yeah. I think also returning to a theme we talked about earlier, there have been times when I really do regret not doing one thing fully, mm-hmm. whether that be a sport I think I've seen friends who are on a sports team find so much fulfillment in the team and really putting themselves into a sport. Um, So sometimes I have that regret of I should have picked one thing and and really committed myself to and gotten really good at it. Other than that, I I don't think so. That's good. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I should have done another major. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. No, it's good. That's good that you don't have that many big regrets. I don't know. Some people, like, really have, like, one outstanding thing that they that they regret. And I don't know. Yeah, people have different approaches to, to that question. Yeah. I mean, I do regret that paralyzation. Yeah. That fear of making the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I really went back and forth on abroad and on overland so, so many times. And I drove myself a little crazy. And I definitely regret that. Yeah. But you made the decision, which is what mattered. Right? True. Yeah. Let's talk about the future. On a career or not on both a career and personal level, uh, what what are your, your like ambitions and goals? Yeah. In my 20s, I have this vision of, as I've said before, doing all the things and going on adventures and traveling and not settling down. I think I want to experience life to its fullest while I still can while my mind and body is still active and able that's dramatic but I I don't know I want to travel yeah. I want to um, run a marathon and I want to live different places eventually want to make it to New York eventually want to move to Denver and then in terms of professional life I think I really want to find fulfillment in my job and do something that I care about, not just do a job for the salary or for the optics. Mm-hmm. And I've already kind of done that for next year, and I'm doing a job that I'm really excited about and passionate about, and that's why I'm doing it. Can you briefly describe what that is? Yeah, so I'll be working as a research associate at a research group called DevTech, which is under Boston College's 
Lynch School of Education. And the lab does three sort of, the lab does three things looking at this idea of coding as another language and holding computer science as an essential skill for elementary school aged kids to learn not in order to go into a career or not only to go into that career but also just to be members of society Mm -hmm. for the future and so the first aspect of that is research so they conduct brain imaging research in which they look at the neural pathways relating to language while kids are coding to see if they light up the second bucket or component is product design. So the lab group created Scratch Junior, which is a lot of people have heard of Scratch, which is a coding platform for little kids in which they learn the fundamentals of basic coding. Mm-hmm. And so the lab created Scratch Junior based on their ideology that this should be introduced into the classroom at an even earlier age. And they also have another company called Kibo Robotics. And so working on those two products, um, building them out, expanding them. And then the third bucket is outreach. So bringing this ideology, bringing these products actually into the classroom Mm -hmm. and working with kids in order to teach them how to use the products and working with teachers to help them incorporate the curriculum into their classroom. So that's a really long-winded explanation, but I'll basically be doing a little bit of everything, which is perfect for me because I don't know exactly what I want to do. I just know I'm passionate about their mission and hopefully will find my niche while I'm there next year. I think that's like, honestly, like I sometimes listen to like these career podcasts or like on TikTok, people get people give career advice. And it's literally that. They say, yeah. just be somewhere where... Uh, their mission is something that you're really passionate about. Yeah. And then you'll eventually find your niche. Like you don't necessarily have to do like the thing that you want to do. It's like as long as you're a part of something that you care about, that's all that matters. And then you will find your niche. So Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, that is something to be really excited for. Yeah. What about on a personal level? Like any goals, ambitions? Like, yeah. Yeah, I want to find community as I've talked so much about trying new things um one of my friends who graduated said that he has found community in joining rock climbing gyms Mm -hmm. so doing stuff like that i want to keep learning whether that be actually going to grad school eventually or just keeping reading keeping my mind active outside of work i want to keep up my hobbies i want to keep crocheting and knitting yeah and running is a hobby, I think. And eventually, I hope to settle down and get married, have kids. Um, yeah, I want to be happy. It's this question of, like, do I want to achieve great success and leave a legacy that's remembered, some way to remember me? Or do I want to live the life I want to live and find happiness in the small things and being outside and having close friends? And that's a question that I've sort of gone back and forth on 
in my life. And ultimately, I kind of just want to be happy and enjoy the little things and go on hikes and sit with friends and laugh in the summer warmth. That's it, honestly. That sounds that sounds wonderful. It's interesting, like, when I was a freshman in college, my goal was to be great at something. And as I've gotten older, uh, I think I've realized there's actually greater value in what you're talking about. Um, and I remember you listened to Luna's podcast, and one of the first things you said to me was that, so, that you really liked how she said that when she talked about her future, her goal was just to, to be a good mom. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. That's such a big goal. And allowing myself to realize that that is a big goal sometimes feels weird, but it's true. Yeah. You want to be a good mom? Yeah. Okay. Last question I ask every guest. Um, and Emily, this has been a really, I don't know, really valuable conversation. I'm glad we could do this. Yeah. Seriously. Um, so if you could choose one song that you would associate with these past four years or maybe even a song that's like super evocative of this particular moment, um, what would it be? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I would have to pick In My Life by The Beatles. I think more speaking to the second part of that question, but... Yeah, the song talks about holding people and places close Mm -hmm. and going on to new things, but bringing pieces of that with you. And I feel like that's what I've been saying. Yeah. Um, And I listened to it a lot senior spring of high school also. Mm -hmm. And I've been listening to it a lot lately. And so that's my song. It's my transition song of saying goodbye and saying hello to something new. It's a beautiful song. It's one of my favorite Beatles songs. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. Okay, Emily, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was an amazing experience. Mm-hmm.